as we are reminded that he will hold us fast. It's, it's really encouraging as the, to see the church that we are not holding fast the praises, that we are letting them go. We are letting go of the gospel and sharing it with others, and that people are coming to know our Savior in spirit and in truth. It's such a good thing. It's sitting over there and just listening to the congregation lift up these praises to the Lord. Praise God. Before we start, before we jump into the Word of God this morning, I just want to say thank you to the church for um, over the last few weeks for my wife. Uh, my wife has had a couple surgeries. She just had a surgery on Wednesday of this week. She's not here this morning. She, was, uh, she had a fever last night, so she didn't make it to church this morning. But uh, our church has been overwhelming with prayer support and, and just support of being there and just loving on us and sending us messages. On Wednesday after her surgery, we had over 100 messages come to us from our congregation. It's amazing. So I just want to say thank you on behalf of Laura and myself that, that, that we feel loved and appreciated and prayed for. And uh, every moment we get up, we just want to praise the Lord for what he's doing uh, in our lives, but also what he's doing in our church. So thank you. Thank you. I'm going to pray and then we'll start. Father, this morning we ask that you would search our hearts, that you would draw us close. God, on my heart this morning, I've been praying this a few times before your throne, asking that you would empty us so that we would be filled with your spirit, filled with your truth. And God, that you would search each of us and bring to light anything that's in our lives that, are, that is holding us back from seeing you from worshiping you, from living in you fully. God, we ask that you would help us this morning understand your word and put it into play in our everyday life. We look forward to meeting you now through the word. In your name we pray, amen. See, there's no book like the Bible. See, the story begins already. We're going to be... a it's going to be good, eh? It's going to be good. Let me start that one again. There is no book like the Bible. Amen. Sweet. See, the story begins with the making of the universe. Everything we see and hear and smell and touch and taste and everything our satellites are just beginning to find in space. It explains what went wrong with the world. Climatity and disease and conflict and every sorrow came into our lives. The Bible explains how it will all end. You see, in the Bible, we meet God, the one who made all things, planned all things, reigns over all things, and who is saving for himself a people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation on earth. History's best plot lines are found in the pages of this book. Miracles, political intrigue, natural disaster, war, brokenness and need, Faith, rescue, victory, great acts of love. It's like a lost city of gold to be discovered, treasured, and loved. A treasure hunt that never ends and yet rewards you at every step. The more you find, the more you're able to find. And the best part, it all comes from the mouth of God. This is the Bible. This is the word of God that was given to us See, author, pastor, and father John Piper wrote those words as a reflection about how he sees the word of God. And each of us here this morning, we will have to think hard about the words that are found in this book. Are they true? 
Are they applicable? Do they matter? When we look at this book, do the words of the book carry any weight when it comes to the reality and hardship we who gather here face day in and day out? Within this book, we will find hope. Not only does this book give us hope, but explains how and where this hope comes from. The 31,102 verses that are found in the Bible help us to be the people of God. They don't just tell us about God, but they help us to be the people of God. Today, we are going to look at the words that came from the mouth of Jesus. In the triune God, he's the second person, also known as the God-man. He's the one that left heaven to come to be with the creation, to be and to show the world what hope and love looks like. You see, over this summer, your pastors, we've been gathering together and we've been teaching through the parables. These are stories that Jesus would explain to his people that would hold nuggets of truth. Sometimes he would break aside with the smaller group of disciples and explain what he was really talking about. And we have been taking this journey over the summer looking at the various parables. And this morning, we're going to look at another story. It's not actually a parable, but Jesus, the master storyteller, is painting an intricate picture of a vine trimmed by its gardener that produces generous fruit. Generous fruit. Now, when you think about it, you think about the vine. This is often an Old Testament symbol for Israel. We find this in Psalm 80, 8 through 16. Isaiah holds this this imagery in verse in 5, 1 through 7, and we can find it in Jeremiah 2, 21. And when we look into the Old Testament, we think about the imagery of the vine being used. It's often Israel. And it's Israel lo- lacking something. In some way, they're lacking. And here we look at the words of God, we look at the words of Jesus, and he is referring to the vine again, but he is the true vine lacking nothing. So this morning, we're going to open up the Word of God. We're going to turn to John 15, and we're going to read it. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, why don't you open that up today? John 15, we're going to be in verses 1 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus saying, these words remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And some branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the reading of God's word. May he have a blessing to it this morning. See, God's vineyard, it holds one vine. See, believers are grafted into this already perfect relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son, and they are sealed and nourished by the Holy Spirit. 
See, Jesus is in a moment, if you look in John 13 to John 17, Jesus is pulling his disciples in and he's talking to them. And he's sharing these personal things. He's sharing things because he's leaving very soon and they're going to be left alone. So he wants to bring them in. So he's teaching his disciples and us here today as we read, as we look into the word, in order to sustain a genuine spiritual life in the world, believers must remain intimately attached to Christ. I'm going to say it again. This is what Jesus is trying to get across this morning. In order to sustain a genuine spiritual life in the world, believers must remain intimately attached to Christ. You see, discipleship is not just a manner of acknowledging who Jesus is. Like, there's Harley, or there's Ken. Not acknowledging who Jesus is, it's having Jesus spiritually connected to our inner life. Our inner lives. Something that is deep down inside that we can't hardly explain. Sometimes it's hard to explain God. Sometimes it's hard to put it in, into words what I feel. I just know that it's God. So for this morning, we need to know two things as we look at this passage. One, we need to know our position in Christ. And we also need to know the process when it comes to a Christ-centered life that bears fruit. So that's the two things we're going to look at today. It's not going to be long. I'm not going to take us back and look at all the references about the vines or anything like that. We're just going to simply go through two points, what our position is and what the process is when it comes to a Christ-centered life that bears fruit. Because that's what God wants us, each of us who are in Christ, to do. He wants us to bear fruit. So I'm going to start with the first one, know your position. Verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. See, Jesus starts this section of teaching with establishing in the minds of the, disciple, the disciples the distinct role between him and his father. He needs, the, he needs the disciples, and he needs us to know how this relationship works, how, it, how, how he relates to his dad. He also wants them to know and understand how this will benefit them as individuals as they walk with God, and for us today, as we gather together as the church. See, Jesus is drawing this picture for them. And I remember when I was going through school, I remember there was a certain teacher that they, she would teach in multiple facets. She would teach in different ways. Sometimes she would lecture. Sometimes she would, uh, she would make us draw pictures. Other times she would show videos. And I was thinking about her this week. Her, her teaching style stuck out to me because it wasn't the same all the time. She used different, different types so that we could learn. And I remember one day she said, everybody, put your head on... Put your head on your desk. It's been a long day, and I just want you to listen. We would put our head on the desk, and she said, pull out a piece of paper and put it beside you. And as I speak, I want you to draw. I, th I was thinking about that today, and I was thinking as I share this today, if you have a pencil, if you're taking notes, why don't you draw something? Why don't you draw what God would share with you today? See, I would like to share this, this little vignette or something that God put on my heart this week as I was looking at just that one verse. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener and how we as the believers of God relate. You see, the father, he's a tender gardener who keeps careful care over the vine. I want you to think about that. Maybe you garden. Maybe you get up to go out to the garden, you put on the big boots, you get a big hat, 
I often think overalls are involved. Just in my mind, that's what a gardener would wear or a farmer. I don't know. <laughs> but the father is a tender gardener who keeps careful eye over the vine. On my sheet today, as I was writing, I began to draw a vine. I was thinking about the gardener and applying it to Scripture, thinking he's caring. This gardener is caring. He's compassionate. He guards the vine. He looks at it and he tends to each part of the vine. The gardener knows the process and he knows how to keep good care so that the vine stays healthy, so that the vine, it produces fruit. You see, the gardener is not passive. He has not just left the vine alone and says, fend for yourself. See, the gardener is close to it, examine it. The gardener is active. The gardener looks at the vine and he cuts off every branch from that vine that doesn't bear fruit. He checks the status of each branch. Are you seeing the picture of this gardener, how caring and compassionate he is? He's getting low. He's bending down, looking at each branch, examining it carefully for signs of life. If the branch has no life, it has no purpose, he removes it. The vine stays strong. It's nourished and cared for by the gardener. The vine begins to produce new branches. And the gardener, he's right there. He's carefully looking at each branch, loving each branch, customizing each branch for maximum fruit-bearing production. See, the gardener cares. He cares both about the branch and he, po he cares about the vine. The vine, he trusts the gardener to prune the branches, a snip here, a cut there, a bind on this one, and some extra attention on that one. You see, the pruning process, it's delicate. The master gardener does it. Only he can do it. He sees the fruit pouring out of the branches. The gardener is excited to see the branches reach their full potential. The vine knowing that it brings life to the branches, that life only comes from the vine. The branches, they can't live away from the life giver. The branches need to be connecting to live, to receive the vital nourishment needed to sustain and grow in the harsh environment in which it's been placed. It needs to be connected to that vine. And you see the vine, it's so excited to see this pruning process because he knows that when this happens, that the real branches that are truly connected to the vine, they're going to produce some fruit. That is the goal. You see, Jesus is saying from this verse, this one verse that I am the vine and I am the only one. There's only one vine in the vineyard. He says that I bring new life, but I also sustain life. And that when you're connected to me, you will grow and you will reach your potential. He's saying you and I, in this, in this moment, we're connected. And in this life, we're connected. We're in this together. And he actually gives us a qualification. He gives us a name as Christians. He says, you're a branch. We actually have a special place and he names it. He says, you're a branch. Jesus speaking to his disciples. And as we read through the, the, the word of God for us today, Jesus says that you can't do this on your own. 
He says, you need to remain in me, and I need to remain in you. And if you look through that, verses 1 through 8, six times, Jesus says, you need to remain in me, and I need to remain in you. We have to have this relationship together. You have to be connected to me. It has to be ongoing. It can't be just this one time. It has to be a daily connection. Remain, remain, remain. Are you remaining? You got to remain, remain, because I'm remaining in you. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. You need to make sure that you remain in me. He's saying, I need to be your focus. We think about the word of God. We say, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's a remaining. That's an abiding. He, need, he says, I need, I need to be the one who sustains you, who helps you, who grows you. You see, this is how you're going to bear fruit. This is how you're going you're gonna to get through it. This is how you're going to see me. This is how you're going to show to be my disciple. See, we, we the church, live in a, in a world that, that is going away from God, is turning their back on God. And the more that we as the church remain in him and he remains in us, God produces fruit and the world looks on and they see, hey, they're disciples. So you need to know your position. You're a branch. You're a branch. But you're not just a branch on its own. You're a branch that's connected to the vine. And true branches connected to the vine always produce fruit. Always. This is what God the Father is saying. If you're truly connected to Jesus the Son, you're going to grow. You're going to bear fruit. Every time I look at the Bible, every time I look at Scripture, I have to look into it and I have to ask these questions. God, what is the takeaway for this? Is there something that I need to confess? Is there a sin I need, that is highlighted here that I have to uh, look at? Is there a teaching here that I need to apply? What's the takeaway? So I began to ask myself that question as we looked at John 15 this week. And the takeaway for us is when just this one verse is that Christians live in Christ. We know this, we've been preaching about this, that our new address is where? In Christ. The church knows that, our church knows that. And out of this vital relationship, this connection, the Bible says Christians will produce fruit. That can be confusing. What does that mean? Well, fruit is the product of a godly life and virtues of character. Being connected to Christ will change how you think and how you act and how we live and how we love. Christ says, if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will produce godly character. You will not produce health. You will not produce wealth. You will not produce a good life as in defined by the world. You will do, your fruit will be godly character. If we were to put it in a terminology or if we were putting it in theology, this would be the uh, progressive sanctification moment. The moment where we attach ourselves to God through, his, through the gospel and from that moment on, because of this remaining, because of this abiding, we're growing in his likeness. To eventually people see a totally different person. The old is gone, the new has come, but it is a process that God takes us through. It's beautiful. But so much of the world, so much of people think that if we're connected to God, he wants to make us feel good all the time. And he's going to give us a nice car and he's going to give us a great place to live. But true Christians remaining in God are in the hardest environments, the hardest conditions, the hardest parts of the world where they're being prosecuted and persecuted. 
And still, they're on their faces worshiping in spirit and in truth. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you, and you will produce godly character. But if you don't remain in Christ, you won't produce fruit. And eventually, this branch will wither. It'll be thrown away. See, Christianity is about a vital relationship with God, a connection to the inner spirit. If there's no real vital connection, there will be no real fruit bared. And the Christian knows they're connected because they're experiencing victory over sin. Their sin makes them upset. They begin to grieve over it. They They begin to look at the word and they say, God, how can I take what I read here and apply it to my life? See, a lot of people would look at this verse and they would get nervous. They would get scared and say, am I really saved? But I believe and I believe the Bible teaches assurance of salvation. That once you're in God, there's no removal. You can't get rid of God even if you tried. Woo! I love our church. There's passion and pursuit of holiness in the believer's life. And I believe in the insurance of salvation, the Holy Spirit. As we read in 16.8, the Holy Spirit was given to us and to the world to convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. And to, in regard of righteousness, in regard of judgment. A couple weeks ago, Kyle Eidelman, he's a good preacher, and I use some of his material for our young adults. He's a great preacher. I have him on my Facebook page. He wrote this a few weeks ago. He said, he is the vine, and we are the branches. Our only hope for life is to stay connected. He is the vine, and we are the branches. Our only hope for life is to, is to stay connected. That post on that day grabbed my heart. It made me think of that moment in John 6. If you were to turn, we're in John 15 right now, but if you were just to go back a little bit and you went into John 6, there's this moment where Jesus is teaching to a group of disciples about communion, the exact same thing that we're going to partake of in a bit. And he's teaching, he says to his disciples who are gathered there, not just the 12, but many disciples, and he begins to teach them about this communion. He says that you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And on that day, this was a defining day in Christ's teaching. It was a defining moment for the group. After this point, many disciples who were following Jesus decided to leave. They walked away. They walked away from them. See, they had acknowledgement. They had acknowledged who Jesus was. If people were walking by and seeing a big crowd of people and Jesus was teaching, the walker by, the passerby would say, oh, they're disciples. From a distance, they would say that. But they were just acknowledging who Jesus was, but they had no inner spiritual connection. If you read John 6, it says they're disciples, one who takes on the teachings of another. But when the teaching got hard or the teaching caused them to make changes in their life or to face the facts and they would have to change something, what does the Bible say? They walked away. They ran. And there's this moment in that passage where Jesus turns and he looks at the 12 and he says, are you going to leave too? Are you going to leave too? How many times in life do we want to leave? How many times do we think about that when it comes to our faith? When there is a hard teaching or a hard season or we're not getting our way in the church and we just want to leave? 
or a program is not running a right way, or when sickness and pain, they come upon us, or when financial strain is there, or marital relationships are rocked, how many times do we think it would be easier just to walk away and not deal with this? It's crossed my mind. Hardship and pain and watching the church and watching the people. I sometimes think, would it have been better if I didn't know this gospel? Because the more I know, the more accountable I am. If you're honest, it's probably crossed your mind. Maybe you even stopped talking to God. Stop pursuing God. But I pray, and I pray there would be a moment where we see in the Bible, where the words of Peter grips your heart. See, Jesus, he turns to the 12 and he says, do you want to leave? And Peter's response to that is, Lord, to whom, where would we go? To whom would we go? We believe, this is Peter's words, we believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. We know. We know God. We trust in Him. And when it feels like we, need, we want to run away and when things are starting to boil up to the point of breaking, we need, to, we need to repeat those words to each other. We need to preach it to ourselves. You are the Holy One of God. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to you. And when things get hard, we pray harder. And things get better, we praise more. And our hearts and our lives, they're lived out in these moments when we're, where we walk with God, not in the moments when we get our way. Don't pray to have your way. Pray that God would complete his will and be gracious to you in those moments to help you understand that his ways are not your ways. Pray that God would have his will in your life and that you would draw close to him. And when things do get rough, preach it to yourself. I'm a branch. I'm connected to a vine who's being tended by, by a gardener who's caring and compassion is just overflowing in my life. And even if I can't see it, I need to remind myself what my position is. What's the position? In Christ, I'm a branch. We need to know that. I think that's important. Or Jesus wouldn't have told us. He wouldn't have told us. Because if you read the story, if you go past part eight, Jesus is leaving. And he says, there's persecution coming. There's going to be people that don't like you. There's going to be hard times. And you're going to forget. You have to remain in me. And I'll remain in you. And remember that God is going to bear fruit through your life. And this fruit is going to be godly character. And the more that we do this together, the more you're going to look like me. And that's a good thing. It's good to look at Christ. So that was the first point. Know the position. You're a branch. The second thing I want to highlight, it's not going to take long. I just want to just kind of share this with us, is that we need to know the process. We need to know the process of, of the gardener. Verse 2, it says, he cuts off every branch in me that produces no fruit. While every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes. A powerful statement, a powerful scripture. See, this is a difficult passage to read. 
And some would read this and begin to judge and think, God is harsh and cruel, and he's mean, and he's unfair. What do you mean he's going to cut off branches? And we begin to focus there. That begins to draw our attention. We get, allow that part of the scripture to seek into our mind and say, am I going to get cut off? But the truth is, we need to look at the full gospel, the full word of God, and be reminded that God is opposite of those things. That God is fair and that he is gracious. And he is there. And he is with us. And our faith needs to be strong. We need to believe that God has our backs and he knows what's best for us. We need to know and believe if we are branches connected to his son, he will be checking our hearts. He will be checking our spiritual pulse. I want you to think of it like this. Think about a nurse who goes into a room to check on a patient. They go in. They check the status of the patient. They check the blood pressure. They check the heart. They check the pulse. God does the same thing, checking our spiritual status and adjusting accordingly so that our faith will increase, our trust levels will grow, and in our weakness, we turn to God who will be our strength. See, God's going to take each of us through this process, this pruning. I recently learned about a medical, member of the medical team. Um, over the last few weeks, I've been learning lots about medicine and different types of the body. And I actually came across this, this member of the, the medical team called a perfusionist. Uh, a perfusionist is a highly trained member, and they work in the, in the heart surgeon department. They work in the area where when you're doing open heart surgery. And the perfusionist is solely responsible for the management of the physiological and metabolical needs of the cardiac surgeon patient so that the cardiac cardiac surgeon may operate on a still unbeating heart. So there's this guy or woman or person and their whole responsible, their whole job description or their whole job in that room is to take care of everything else that's going on in the body when the heart shuts down. The heart shuts down, that's the most vital, we need the heart, we need that to be pumping the blood and they're going to stop the heart and keep the body going so that the surgeon can work on the heart. His sole job is to take care of that while the surgeon repairs the heart. And Jesus is saying that the father is the gardener that is taking care of both the vine and those who are connected to the vine. So there are times where he, we will need to make adjustments. God will need to make adjustments to us. Pruning it means to cut like a surgeon so that the branch will be the best branch possible. See, the vine dresser prunes, he cultivates, he disciples us. But there's hope there. While God takes us through this pruning process, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they're taking care of everything else that's going on in our body so that we're not left alone. That as we go into surgery, I don't know if you've ever gone into surgery, it's a little nerve-wracking. It's a little nervous those mornings when you're getting up and you're getting dressed and you're, you're thinking, I have to drive to a hospital and they have to put me under and someone's going to cut my body open. That's nerve-wracking. But there's hope we need, to, we need to pray and, and know and understand that during this time, during this process, during this, this pruning area, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they got us too. And the best example of this work, the work of the Father, is probably found in Hebrews 12, 6, in 10 and 11. He's, it says that the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son who he receives. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. See, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, get this, it yields the peaceful, what, fruit. 
peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, in this context, you, you flip open, you just go to Hebrews 12, and this discipline is happening through the persecution of sinners. And then here in John 15, 20, same, same area, same section, just down a little bit, Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. Persecution is not the only way the Father cuts and prunes the true branches, but it is one way. But there are other ways that you will have to see the Father's hand as he brings you through. Paul also gives us a picture of how this works in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. Paul writes this, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we were deprived of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, in this moment, in this passage, Paul's writing, he says, there are conditions that are happening to us, there are situations that are happening to us, and we don't feel that there is hope. We feel that the death sentence is upon our lives. But these things needed to happen so that we would trust and rely on God, so that we would grow, so that fruit would be bared. See, Paul's abiding in Christ, in God, and it was so deeply assisted by the pruning that it took him almost to the point of death. See, Christian, church member, anyone listening, our hope in life is most often trying to escape persecution, trying to escape pain, trying to escape suffering. This is not what we pray for, to live comfortable and have access to what we want and when we want. But the thing is, that makes us turn our back on God. When we get too comfortable, we feel like we don't need God. And God says, you have to remember your position and you have to remember, I'm gonna take you through a process so that you will look like my son. And we begin to turn our backs on God. We don't trust him and we don't rely on him. And when all hell breaks loose in our lives, we begin to lose it and even blame God. But here's the thing. Here's the truth. Right now, at this time, these are the moments that we need to prepare. See, we live in a fallen world because of sin and, and we're going to go through situations. We're going to go through trials. We're going to go through things. But we belong to a people that God is choosing, that God is bringing, a people that are called after his own name. And in these moments and in these trials and in these heartaches, we need to pray together, teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me as the individual and teach us as the collection of the church to serve you, to love you, to trust you. Teach me to trust in you so that I will grow in godly character. So that I, individually, and the church, corporately, will produce fruit. See, the church, when the onlookers look on, they need to see godly character. They don't need to see what we have. They need to see whose we are. We're Christ. We're attached to him. We're an extension of him. And the gardener is looking on us. He's helping us. He's pruning us. And he's making us look like his son. You see, God said, I will build my church. He'll build us. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I was thinking about that today. What if it was written like this? If I, if, what if God was saying, I'll build my people, 
Because the church is what? The people. He said, if I, I'll build my church, but what if he's saying, really saying, I will build my people. I will help them. I'll train them. I'll disciple them. And when hell itself comes at their doorstep, when the situations where it feels like Paul is saying, death is there. I've been given the sentence of death. Their faith in me will stop it dead in their tracks. My people who were called by my name. What if God's people, the church, would know their position connected to the Lord Jesus and understand God has a process to grow us in the likeness of his, of his son Christ? What if we, the people, we, God's church, took serious the call to seek God in Second Chronicles? If my people, who were called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven and I would forgive their sin and I would heal their land. And now my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. What if we trusted that God has a plan for our lives and a part of this plan, there were moments where he would lead us, where he would help us, where sometimes he would slow us down so that we could see him more, better, a clearer picture. What if there are times where he will lead us through some of our craziest fears so that, he, so that we would learn to trust him more. So that we would know our position. And that we would trust in his process. And the result of that would be verse 8. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Showing yourselves. I want to show myself to be a disciple. And that means I have to know my position and I have to know the process and I have to add a whole bunch of faith to that. Because there, there are times when I pray those things and I get a little nervous because when I pray those things, I know God's so big and he's so great. He's going to take me on an adventure and this adventure is something usually I don't want. But then as I step out in this adventure, I have to pray, I trust you, Lord. Open my eyes so that I can see. Open my heart so that I can trust. Showing me, showing others your glory. Showing that I will be one of your disciples. I pray that is your prayer. So over the summer we've learned that uh, through the parables, that he is the shepherd, we are the sheep. That he is the bridegroom and we are the bride, that he is a good, good father and we are his children, that he is the creator and we are his masterpiece, and he is the vine and we are the branches. Every illustration says the same thing. We were created to know and live in Christ. Are you connected to God? Do you know your position? Do you know the process? Don't wait. There is a free connection available today in Christ. I'm going to pray and then we're going to do communion together. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And Father, we know that you have a plan for each and every one of us. A plan to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. God, we think about that plan today. We think about our position. We think about the process. And we trust in you. 
And God, I pray for every heart that is in this room, and I pray that we would, be ha- that we would have a strong connection with you, God. And if there are people here right now that that signal or that, that connection is a little low, I pray that they would be encouraged today to come back to you or to turn to you or confess things in their life so that you would help them, so that you would make that connection even stronger. We are the branch. You are the vine. Your father is the garden. And we look forward to what you're going to do. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen.